Uh, if you would, if you have your copy of God's Word, um, we would encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 14. Um, if not, you can follow along uh, on the screens or in your bulletin as well. Uh, if you've been with us, you'll know that we've been looking at uh, the ups and downs of following Jesus. And what we've seen is that following Jesus often isn't a straight line, and it rarely is a gradual progression. It is much more uh, like an up and a down. And we've been looking at what it means to follow Jesus through the eyes of Peter, who's probably one of the most uh, colorful up and down characters in all the scriptures. And if you were with us last week, we saw that his confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, uh, brought about a new calling in his life, and it brought, brings about a new calling in our lives as well, that following Jesus means that we radically orient our lives around him. Uh, in fact, James K.A. Smith said that conversion is not the arrival at our final destination, but the acquisition of a compass. And what that means is that following Jesus becomes the, the organizing compass of our lives. And so what we want to do this morning is look at what the role of faith plays in this idea of following Jesus, and I think we'll find uh, it is an incredibly essential role. So I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 14, uh, verses 22 uh, to 33. There are other parallels of this passage in other Gospels, but we're going to read Matthew's account. Matthew 14. Immediately he, Jesus, uh, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and, be and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This is God's word. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for just the opportunity to discuss from your scriptures what it means to follow you. Father, I pray that if there's anybody here this morning weighing whether to follow you for the first time with their lives, they would see the, the infinite value of allowing you to orient their lives. And Father, for those of us that have been following you for a long time, refresh our hearts in what it means to be in relationship with you. Help us to see just how powerful a relationship with you really is. We're forgetful people, Father, and so we need reminders to remind our hearts of the truth of the gospel here this morning. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. 
Well, you've all heard it said that strange things happen in uh, the middle of the night. Well, something strange happened to, to the disciples on this night, and it left them with all sorts of mixed emotions as they processed this event with Jesus. And what I want us to see here is that they were left with frustration, uh, they were left with fear, but encountering Jesus transformed their frustration and their fear into faith. So let's first look at the disciples' frustration. Uh, if you read the, the whole chapter of Matthew 14, you get a better idea of all that's happening in this moment for the disciples. Uh, our passage takes place in the middle of the night, but it had been a really long day for Jesus' disciples and for Jesus himself. This was the day where Jesus had fed miraculously 5,000 people, and, and most people think it was probably much more than 5,000. Uh, Jesus had miraculously transformed uh, five loaves of bread and two fish in order to provide a meal for thousands of people. And the people, as a result of it, were shocked. They were amazed at what they'd seen, and they were ready to crown Jesus as their king that moment because, after all, Jesus had miraculously provided bread from heaven. And so this was a, a big deal and a big moment in Jesus' public ministry. But as the night came, uh, Jesus dismissed his disciples. He withdrew from the crowds, and he sent his disciples by boat to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so they probably thought this was going to be a simple evening cruise, but it turned out not to be any sort of pleasure cruise for Jesus' disciples, because we, what we learn is that in the middle of the night, a wind came, and the disciples were stuck in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. We learned that the wind was not favorable for them to get to their destination, and so no matter how much they were rowing, no matter how much they tried, there was little to no progress. And of course, this had to be immensely frustrating for Jesus' disciples. Uh, many of them were fishermen, accomplished fishermen, so they knew how to handle a boat, they knew how to, to, to row to another side of the sea, but they were making no progress whatsoever. And on top of that, they were already exhausted, they were overwhelmed, they were probably emotionally and physically drained, and what Matthew tells us is it was in the very middle of the night as well, that this was during the fourth watch of the night. And so if you know anything about that, that means this was somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. I'm not very productive between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. I don't know about you. But his disciples, they've been working hard, they're exhausted, and all of a sudden they see Jesus in, on the sea coming towards them, walking on water. You can imagine they had to be rubbing their eyes, wondering if they're dreaming, wondering what's going on here. But then the passage tells us that Jesus enters the boat, and when he enters the boat, the wind dies down and everything was still. Uh, John, in his passage, says as soon as Jesus got in the boat, immediately the boat reached the shore in which they were heading. Now, I don't know how seafaring you all are here, but I've had a couple times in my life where I've either been in a boat or, or a kayak or a canoe, uh, some sort of thing that doesn't have an engine. And if you've ever done that before, you know if it's, the, if, if it's a windy day and the wind's working against you, it can be incredibly difficult. And you feel 
like you are just sort of standing still in the middle of the water, no matter how hard you work, you just don't feel like you're going anywhere. And so it feels like this big exercise in futility and frustration. Well, friends, I think a lot of people feel like that, feel like that when it comes to their own personal lives. They feel like their lives are an exercise in futility and frustration. They struggle. They work really hard day in and day out. They put in really long hours, but at the end of the day, they just don't feel like they're getting anywhere. Or maybe even they reach the destination that they've so desired to reach for so long, but it doesn't provide the satisfaction that they were expecting. And so it leads to only greater frustration and greater futility. I think that's why the prophet Isaiah profoundly invites God's people to something else. The prophet Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah 55. He said, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And I think this is the most important verse. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy. In essence, he's saying, why stay frustrated? Why try to ease that frustration with all sorts of lesser things? Because when we come to our passage this morning, we see that Jesus eases the disciples' frustration. And I think the gospel teaches us that he longs to ease the frustration of your soul as well. Now, if that's true, does this mean that Jesus removes your frustrating circumstances? Does he take away that annoying uh, co-worker or that annoying work situation? Does this mean that Jesus somehow steps in and fixes your financial frustrations or deals with your cranky kids? Well, maybe yes, maybe no. But I think what it does mean is this, that that nagging frustration and futility that you feel deeply in your soul, that perpetual dissatisfaction that often wears us down, that emptiness that comes from our estranged relationship with God due to sin, Jesus came to fix all of those things. He may not ease your frustrating circumstances, but he will calm your uneasy soul. He may not solve your everyday problems, but he will satisfy your spiritual hunger. And so that's, I think, one of the things that we see from our passage this morning. But what we also see is that Jesus didn't just come to ease our frustrated souls. He came to do something else. He came to take away our fears. If you were paying attention in the passage, you'll see that fear is actually all over this passage. Uh, in verse 26, when Jesus' disciples see Jesus walking on the water, it says they were terrified and they said, it's a ghost. They cried out in fear. When Peter makes his own little attempt at walking on water, it says he saw the wind and he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out. 
Our passage doesn't say this, but I think that once Jesus got in the boat and the disciples concluded that truly you are the Son of God, I'm willing to bet that there was a little bit of fear in their hearts as well because of what they had just witnessed. But despite their fears, this conclusion was profound. Truly, Jesus, you are the Son of God. Now today, I think people are uh, still captured by fear. I think we're afraid of all sorts of things. Some people are afraid of the dark. Some people are uh, afraid of death. Some people are afraid of public speaking. Uh, I heard a statistic one time that more people are afraid of public speaking than they are of death itself. And I think Jerry Seinfeld even did a little bit about that at some point. Well, in the ancient world, if you, if you research this a little bit, in the ancient world, one of the things that people were really afraid of was the water. They were afraid of the waters, that, that somehow uh, the seas and the oceans were a symbol of chaos and a symbol of potential sudden death. And because we know that's true because storms would often come up on the seas at any time, and if you were trapped out on the seas, you could be uh, left vulnerable. Uh, as I thought about this week, that this week I thought about um, uh, my own honeymoon with my wife. We, we went on a cruise for our honeymoon. It was the last time we've ever been on a cruise. And uh, I was uh, broke at that point, and so I, I didn't spring for the nice cabin. We were in the very bottom of the boat. Uh, and one night when we were uh, on the cruise, we learned that there were uh, the remnants of a hurricane that had come across the seas. And for some reason, uh, the captain of the boat that night uh, decided to turn off the stabilizers. I didn't even know big cruise ships had stabilizers, but they have these things called uh, stabilizers. And that night, they chose to turn off the stabilizers. And so we wake up in the middle of the night, and the, the boat's rocking, and, and we uh, were, were caught by a little bit of fears. And part of that was because you just felt so vulnerable out there in the middle of the ocean. You're in the middle of the ocean. You're completely subject to the power of the waves that are around you, that are, that are stronger than you. It makes you feel very vulnerable. Uh, it makes you feel very small. And no doubt the disciples were feeling that in this moment. But then Jesus steps into the boat, and all of a sudden, all of that chaos that is all around them all of that chaos becomes organized. Think back to, to the creation of the story when, when God was the one moving across the waters and God was the one who organized the chaos of the land into the sea. And now we see in Jesus that he calms the winds and the waves. And of course, this leads the disciples to conclude that this was God who was in the boat with them that night. They had just witnessed him multiply bread and fish, feeding thousands of people, and now they had seen him control the chaos of the sea, and they declared, this must be God himself. But don't miss what Jesus says to them at the very end. He says to them this. He says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Friends, we might not be afraid of the chaos of the sea. We're not all particularly seafaring people. But our world feels like it is full of its fair share of chaos, doesn't it, at this moment? 
When 2020 started, I don't think any of us expected this year to turn out the way that it has. No one was expecting a global pandemic. No one was expecting uh, the loss of life. No one was expecting the loss of jobs, the loss of health. We weren't expecting to have to go to church every Sunday wearing masks. Our kids weren't expecting to have to go to church online. No one expected the loss of simple things like handshakes and hugs that we took for granted for so long. And think about just a quick look at the news where we have hurricanes brewing, where we have wildfires. Uh, I saw a story in, in Colorado this week. They had wildfires, they had heat and humidity, and then the next day they had six inches of snow on the ground, all within uh, a two-day span. And, and you watch the news, you think about our year, and you think about how all of it just feels like chaos all around us. And when we feel that way, it's very, very easy for our fears to get the best of us. We wonder, is tomorrow the day I might lose my job? We wonder, is tomorrow the day I might lose a loved one? Is tomorrow the day I might get my own debilitating diagnosis? Is tomorrow the day when someone might discover something about my past that I've tried to hide for so long? And so these questions and our fears get loud in our hearts, and we don't have answers to these questions. And then we come to Jesus and we recognize this. We come to Jesus and we realize that Jesus never denied that our lives would be chaotic and would feel chaotic from time to time. He never denied that our fears are real and that they are always on the doorpost, uh, threatening us and talking to our hearts. But he does climb in the boat, and he says, do not be afraid. And when he does that, he offers us an alternative to all of these fears and to all of this chaos. He offers us an alternative to fear. He invites us to faith. He invites us to faith. Now, if you hang around in churches long enough, you'll know churches use that word a lot. You know, we've probably already said it 10 or 15 times in the span of a worship service uh, this morning, and that's rightly so, because faith is really the basis of our rescue from sin and death. We are saved by grace through faith. But often we say that word a lot, not really understanding the full implications of what it means. And I think our passage powerfully demonstrates to us what this thing called faith is really all about. It helps us to understand what faith is really all about. And I think it really helps us to see three incredibly simple things about what faith is in light of all of our fears. I think the first thing it directs us to do is this, very simply, to cry out. To cry out. When we're beset by fears, to cry out. The disciples think they see a ghost, so what do they do? It says they cry out in fear, and Jesus steps in the boat, and he says to them, do not be afraid. When Peter steps out into the water, and then he starts to sink, it says he cries out, Lord, save me. And the passage says that Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. And so I think what the gospel writers want us to see here is that faith cries out. 
Faith cries out. In the face of of frustration and futility and dissatisfaction, faith cries out. In the face of, of chaos and unpredictability and fear, faith cries out. In the face of sin and eternal punishment that we deserve as a result of sin and our rebellion, faith cries out. It cries out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. See, I think faith comes when we've come to the end of our rope. Faith comes when we've exhausted all of our abilities and all of our ingenuity and all of our hard work. Faith comes when we recognize that we can no longer earn our way back to God. And so faith cries out very simply, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And then, and only then, God then invites us not just to cry out, but then to step out, to step out. God bless Peter in this story, right? I've always so admired Peter and his courage and his passion in this story uh, because Peter wants to walk on water just like Jesus does. Uh, I, wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been Peter. I would have said, I'm happy to see you do this, Jesus. I don't need to step out there and join you, but not Peter. He wants to walk on the water just like Jesus does. And so what does he do? He steps out. He steps out of the boat. He steps out because he trusts in Jesus. I don't think he steps out because he thinks there might be some sort of sandbar uh, sitting in the middle of the Sea of Galilee that he can put his feet down. He doesn't step out because he somehow figured out the, the weight to composition ratio of what's going on here. He doesn't step out because his intellect and his reason tells him to do so. He steps out because he trusts Jesus. He trusts Jesus. And so, friends, we have to come to terms with the fact that placing one's faith in Christ at times can be very frightening. We become so conditioned in our rebellion to only trust ourselves, and so we want to contribute. We want to control. But only when we give up trusting in ourselves and instead place our faith in Jesus will we be gifted this gift of faith. And that's why we see we have to, to, to cry out, we got to step out. But finally, that's what we see here is the object of our faith. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's what faith does. It fixes our eyes on Jesus. Because we see that the minute Peter took his eyes off Jesus, what happens? He begins to sink. The minute uh, Peter takes his eyes off Jesus, he begins to sink because his circumstances, the wind and the storm around him, become bigger than his Savior. But when he fixes his eyes on Jesus, his faith in him casts out all of those fears. And so, friends, let me ask you, do you feel frustrated by life? Do you feel like every day is an exercise in futility? Do your, do your fears and your circumstances have a tendency to overwhelm your soul? Do your sins and do your missteps feel almost too big to bear? Well, if the answer is yes, then cry out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Step out and fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. He is your Savior who gave his life for you. He reaches out his hand to you and invites you to take hold of it by faith.
There was a really powerful moment uh, in the life of Martin Luther King Jr. that Charles Marsh talks about in his book, uh, The Beloved Community. And I have probably told you this story before, but it's such a powerful story in my mind and illustrates uh, this passage, I think, very beautifully. Uh, it's a story of something that happened to Martin Luther King uh, in the middle of the night, just like his dis- Jesus' disciples were in the middle of the night. Martin Luther King Jr. found himself in the middle of the night hearing a phone ring out. He picks up the phone, and uh, a person on the other side uh, threatens his life and unleashes a torrent of obscenities toward Martin Luther King Jr., And he said at this point in his life, uh, he'd gotten about 30 to 40 of these menacing, threatening phone calls each day, threatening his life. But he said, for some reason, in the middle of the night, this night, this phone call, for some reason, just stuck with him, and he couldn't shake it. So he said because he couldn't sleep, he brewed a pot of coffee, and he sat down at the kitchen table And he said, for some reason that night, suddenly he was struck profoundly with all sorts of doubt and with all sorts of fears. You see, he'd already stepped out of the boat. He'd already begun what we now call the civil rights movement. But for whatever reason, at this moment in his life, he was captured by all sorts of fears and all sorts of doubt. His circumstances just felt too big for him. And in that moment, he wanted out of all of it. He wanted out of all of it. He wanted to find a way to escape this this circumstance he had found himself in without seeming like a coward. And so in that moment of desperation, what he did was this. He cried out to God. He even records his crying out to God. He says this, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what is right. I still think I'm right, but Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now. I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage. Now I am afraid. I'm at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. And Martin Luther King writes that in that dark moment, in that moment of desperation and fear, in that moment of his loss of courage, he says, in that dark moment, it was as if he heard the voice of Jesus speaking to him, saying this, I heard the voice of Jesus saying, still to fight on. And he promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. King said of that moment that he reached a spiritual shore that was beyond doubt and beyond apprehension. He wrote, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced him before. And almost at once, my fears began to go, my uncertainty disappeared. Friends, are you a slave to fear? Are you a slave to futility and frustration? Well, if so, then cry out, step out, and fix your eyes upon Jesus, and watch faith replace your fears.